Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. I have to tell you, uh, I'm very happy because uh, last Sunday, I went to, out to watch the Eagles game because they weren't on regular TV. And I hate when I go out to watch the Eagles game because they go, well, you know, we go down to the street to Black Angus, and it's a happy hour. And I'm like, yeah, it's 10 in the morning. I'm not going to drink. But then they're sitting there, and, and, and they score, and they're winning, so I get like a like a Long Island iced tea, which I don't drink, but they're like 550. And then the first one goes down, you get the second one, and then you get a burger, and you get a, fr- a free beer with a burger. So I catch a little buzz, and it's too early for me to catch a little buzz. So I'm glad that this Sunday, the game the Eagles are playing the Redskins, I never thought it would be on Fox, because basically the Redskins sucked, and the Eagles were looking pretty crappy. So I sit there, and I check my guide just to make sure, and it was on. But I hope it's not what happened last year, because I remember last year it said the Eagles and Redskins were on. And I just switched to AT&T U-verse, so I'm not used to their thing. So we're all excited. You know, it's, it's a Sunday. I put the little French press for coffee. Joanne's making tea. And we sit there, and all of a sudden, the game's not on. It's like some infomercial. So we had to get up and drive down to the bar, and we didn't want to. And then we're not even ready to do it. So I hope it doesn't happen this week because I've already tried to check, like, TV Guide and all this stuff on on the Internet. and. I can't find out, but it says they're playing, so I really hope they're playing because I like to sit home on the couch because you have the 50-inch TV, you have the sound. It's it's just much better. Anyway, enough about that. We are this guy, my guest today. I, I, I've been going back and forth with him probably for over a year and a half, and it's funny, and it's great because he works. You know, you, you'll see this guy on TV and commercials. I mean, you, you see him in everything. I mean, I was watching an Eagles game, and he was their backfield judge. I mean, that's how much he's working. <laughs> but my guess is Michael Bunin. How you doing, Michael? Good. How are you? I, you know, I got two thoughts really quickly on what you just talked about. A, to spare the bar from having a bunch of Eagles fans that are deciding to drink Long Island iced teas, because I'm sure that would scare most bar owners, okay? There's only three of us. <laughs> okay, but yeah, but I'm t- Eagles fans. Yeah. Three Eagles fans. It's exponential. That's like 50 guys. That's like 50 guys. So you, why don't you have the package? You gotta get, you're got to get. you a hardcore fan. You know what? This is the package. Because in all honesty, in the beginning of the season, I always look in the pattern. Like when the Eagles were supposed to be really good this year. And right. they may become good. I hope. And But when you see the package, and, you know, what games. Then I look. Okay. So the, whenever they're playing Dallas, that's on national TV. That's right. The Giants look okay. That's my national that's TV. That's right. They have uh, opened up Monday night. They have a Monday. Then they have the Giants in Carolina back to back on a Monday night and Sunday night game. They have a Thanksgiving game. So I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to pay the package for the other games. So it's just a matter. And if they're looking good when they play the Patriots, yeah, that will be on TV, right? You know, so that's how I look at it. I mean, do you have the package? I do, um, but I didn't expect um, a logical answer, and that makes a lot of sense actually. I, I actually that makes complete. I wanted to I wanted to keep going and maybe give you some crap, but that makes complete sense. Yeah, I wouldn't if I was you. I wouldn't get the I'm package like, oh, either. It's like, and the funny thing is, where we go, and we go to Black Angus and Burbank. Right. And what's good is, I've been going to that bar since I've lived in Burbank. Yeah. Right? I know the bartenders. You know, I mean. It's, they've changed, but they know Sundays. Right. They have all the games, which, yes. which cracks me up. They have all these TVs, but they get a very small crowd. Right. And, and I'm like, I don't get it because, you know, most bars, if you go to Buffalo Wild Wings, it's crazy. It's crazy. This one, they have happy hour all day Sunday. Right. So who's not going to go out? You can, drink a, you can drink a $3 Bud Light. You can drink a $4 Guinness. Yeah. You know, who's, who's going to bitch about that? And what's funny about it is they always put the one TV on with Sal. I used to sit at the end of the bar and right. get a small one, but now I'm, I get the bigger one. They put sound on it. So... It's all right. So I can't complain. So can't. That's why I don't get the package. And and we walk down. It's a nice Sunday walk. In fairness, my brother Joe, back home in Las Vegas, who's a diehard, diehard Eagles fan, he never gets the package because he's got one of three sports books in the city where every bartender always knows him. He's got his seat. They put his TV on. It's the same thing. He's just set up. So he, he's if the game's on network, he stays at home. If it's not, he drives down to a casino, takes his seat. They all know him. I get that. It's that makes a, sense. It's perfect. And it's funny because I know in, uh, and you live on the west side, don't you? Uh, yeah, I'm, well, I'm on, uh, no, excuse me, I'm uh, I'm like Miracle Mile area. Okay, because well, yeah. I know in Santa Monica, yeah. there's a bar called the Britannia. There is. That is a huge Eagles bar. Big. That's like, what I keep hearing, big. Like that, and then Big Wangs in Hollywood. Yes. But that's sort of like, Big Wangs in Hollywood is sort of like the younger crowd. It like, is. Like the the, 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 the the newbies that you it know, is. get drunk and just start We go there, out. and they're going to be like, oh, so somebody brought their uncles. Like, I don't want to go in there. Now, who's your, <laughs> who's your team? Okay, you know, I have... I, I, in, first of all, you were born in Virginia. I would say they, I was born in Virginia. So by all rights, I should have been a Redskins fan, um, especially based on what every every kid in the neighborhood was doing. I did not like the Redskins at the time. I've always liked some individual players, but I just was never, I never took to them. Um, we moved to Las Vegas when I was 12. Um, so 
In recent years, I have sort of adopted, and this is such a weird way to get there because my dad is a Bronx kid, so I grew up a Yankee fan. Don't hate me. Grew up a Yankee I fan. I like the Yankees. No, I figure, I'm, yeah. I'm a Philly fan. Yeah, I, no. I like the Yankees. So I grew up, but with football, for some reason, my father was a lifelong Rams fan. And so about four years ago, I started to read more and realized that there's a good chance the Rams are really going to come back to Los Angeles. I think they have the best chance to come back. So for the last four or five years, I've sort of taken on my dad's favorite team again and just sort of do- I'm writing. I got my hat on every week and I'm and honestly, I thought Nick Foles was going to do a little better for, for I, the Rams this year. You know, that's 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 funny because I was sitting there watching the game and I was thinking, you know, Foles and Foles was good with the Eagles. Yes, he had that great year. Yes, but I was the same way. I was sitting there thinking, you know what? They're gonna they're because the the Rams are one of those teams that they're like always just like one ingredient away. Ugh. And you fish and you got Fisher. Yes, and you sit there and then you know then you get an injury and then you get sit there and then you get a quarterback who gets hurt and then Bradford. You know, yeah, I mean, and now the Eagles have him. I which, know. He looked like crap. He looked he looked great in preseason. He did, but then he just. I was a little, like crap. I was a little surprised there was a fall off going into the season based on his preseason look. Yeah, we'll see. I just, I, you know, I sit there. I, I just, I'm an Eagles fan, so we're used to this. <laughs> like we, I, I went to uh, Santa Monica to watch the game, and a guy I went to high school with who lives in Santa Monica, my friend Rich Wood. We went to watch the Eagles Cowboys game, and we're all excited because the Eagles look like, you know, they look good in the second half against right. Atlanta, and he's getting. Uh, Bay City Deli. The oh yeah, sure, so, sure. I'm like, and Joanne's like. Oh, well, I go, yeah, it's like East Coast subs, except it's got the hard bread. Fantastic. And we're all excited. And, you know, he has, you know, get there and he has ginger beer and the ginger beer is good. And nice. he has like this nice root beer. And we're watching it, waiting for the game, waiting for the game. We're watching the game and it sucks and it sucks and it sucks. <laughs> and then like, it was the worst half I've ever seen in my life, the right. first half. And I just, it was awful. So anyway, <laughs> enough about football. It's, you know, it's, we're talking because that's what happens when, you know, people, you know, get together and, uh, you know, showcase enough. Now, yeah, in Virginia as a kid. Yeah. What 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 age did you decide you wanted to act? I mean, because you know you know you're twelve and thirteen, but you moved. So right. What? You know, I I mean, as a kid, you know there were certain if I saw certain people on TV, any any time Richard Pryor and my parents would let me watch Young, which they shouldn't have, but it was a major influence on me. If I could catch any Paul Newman movie, any Peter Sellers movie, any any Sidney Poitier movie, those were the actors that made me, and performers that made me think that just looks fun it looks like something to do that would be great to do but i never considered it sincerely like seriously as a career until i got to college uh until i was a freshman sophomore in college and um and a girl i had a crush on asked me to take an acting class and i was like well i'm, I'm already in it Are you, you know you in the wednesday she was like friday i was like no i mean i'm in the friday yeah let's go you know and honestly i walked into the theater department i had done some acting events in high school because I did speech and debate. That's actually how I went to college on a speech and debate scholarship, weirdly enough. But once I got into the theater department, it just seemed right. And then sort of all those all those things I used to watch and over and over again as a kid, it just took and it just felt right. And that's what I've been doing. Well, UNLV, though, is not a, uh, is, it a, does it, is it known for theater at all? Because I mean, I know, you know, because you think you know, if you if you're a dancer, it might be good because right. there's so many shows you could go and get into the, the productions. Sure, but you know there wasn't a lot of. There's not. You don't think if I lived in Vegas for a year years right. ago, you don't really think of Vegas as a, a theater town. No, you don't. And and having lived there, you know this. You know that there are a couple of set sort of community theaters and some that have grown in the last ten years. You know, you've got First Fridays every month downtown for all sorts of art projects, be it. You know, be it uh, uh, paintings or poets or plays being put up or stand up or music. So there is a nice little sort of small but uh, loyal local theater community that is growing. When I went to UNLV, um, and it's not because I was there. This is not one of those stories uphill both ways. But when I went to UNLV, we had a very, very good theater department. You had an MFA for writing. You had everything going on. As budgets got smaller and in the last five, ten years really got hit hard, the department has just been shrunk and smaller and they've suspended some programs no more mfa in writing no more mfa in directing so as the department got hit with those it shrunk and shrunk but there was a time when they were really attracting uh and some of them are still there fantastic experience not just professors but guys that had directed you know davy marlin jones was a professor of mine who had directed over five or six hundred plays by the time he got to unlv so there was a time when it was sort of this little unknown gem for hey you can get a great theater education here and you still can but in fairness because i would never pick on my old school but in fairness i have to point out 
the budget cuts have killed this department, and there's just not as much work. And I think a lot of these actors there are probably frustrated. So, so now you're you're at UNLV. Yeah, I know you're a big Rebels fan. I see your, yes. your post. And, uh, there was a great. Uh, it was a great. It was an HBO documentary. It was something about their. It was fantastic. Yeah, it was. And they're all their all their sports documentaries yeah. are good. But you're it's, you're you're there, and now you graduate. Now you're in Las Vegas, and now, you know, one of the alternatives you could get a job at a casino, right? Because you can make good money. You can absolutely. That's Especially a career. There's bartenders. I mean, they've been working forever. They're making like eighteen. I waited tables at the Imperial Palace. Did you? <laughs> when I first moved out there, we're talking twenty. 20 ideas I see, now I know the time you're there. Exactly. And uh, I was there for one year, and then I ended up working for Planet Hollywood when they opened. Okay. But it was like, I was still was like in a buffet, that buffet upstairs in the Imperial Palace. Hey, it was it was 12 bucks an hour waiting tables plus tips. I'm like, you know, and now if the people are in the union for a long time, yes. some of these bartenders are making 18 bucks an hour, and, and they're and they're making a nice income. I can and the, tell you the that. cost of living there is low. It was. It's a career there. If you're if you're in a casino and you're a bartender, it's not like being a bartender in a, a nightclub somewhere or just a local bar. You have, I mean, I, you know, I know a lot of bartenders in Vegas with uh, wives, kids, homes, retirement plans, healthcare, everything. They make some of these guys are making a good six figure amounts. So it is. It's an interesting sort of. Um, it's a it's a plus, but it can be a trap. I know a lot of actors that got out of UNLV, got those jobs with the intention of, I'm going to save up that money and you know have a bulk of cash when I moved to LA. And that's the trap. A lot of them never left. I decided to go ahead and move to LA, but I decided to go ahead and move to LA broke because I figured that was a trap. And if I tried to do that, it would always be, well, I was going to save up for this, but now I'll buy a car. I'll wait six more months. I just didn't want to get in the trap. It can be dangerous. So you graduated and you went from Vegas straight to LA. I, I, well, technically I'm still a senior. I have to admit this. Okay. I'm technically still a senior. But so where, where I got a little lucky was I took a little time off sort of in my mid-20s. I was taking one class at a time. I wasn't taking a full load. So all of a sudden, I'm 25, 26. I'm a senior. It just became time for me to leave. I had gotten so much stage time. I had gotten so much training. And it was a matter of, look, I know I only have literally three classes left, but I just didn't want to stay and be Mr. College Theater, Mr. Local Guy anymore. So yeah, for me, early 97, uh, I just took off and came here. So you, do you know anyone out here? When I first came out here, I knew um, maybe one or two people that were a few years before me at UNLV, but no good friends. I came out with one good friend, so I would say I knew one person the guy I came with. So I always ask my yeah. guests, where was the first place you lived out here? Oh, okay. So the first place I lived out here was actually, I mean, Manhattan Beach Boulevard, Manhattan Beach Avenue. I was crashing it, you know, with five guys that were just my, you know, my friends' buddies, and then, you know, just this group of surfers. And after about a month of living there. Honestly, living in what I thought was paradise, it occurred to me that if I don't leave Manhattan Beach and move into Hollywood, I'm just going to end up working at the Birkenstock store. I'm not going to want to drive in for auditions. Yeah. And so I left the beach. And I love the beach, but it was it was hard, but I knew that I wouldn't have a career if I if I didn't get out yeah, of there. Manhattan Beach is, is a hike. It's a hike. It's beautiful. I mean, you get up in the morning and you're you know, we're one block off the strand and my choice is you know, go chase down some one-line co-star somewhere, or go down here and have fish tacos with all the hot girls. You right. know, so it's a it's an easy choice. So if you want a career, for me, not for everybody, for me, I had to leave the beach. So you leave the beach, you move to Hollywood. Yeah. Okay. Where at? Um, not quite Hollywood. I guess Beverly Boulevard in Fairfax. Okay. So you're there, and now what do you start doing to enhance your acting? Because I know you you were a groundling, I believe. When, yeah. No, but- what did you what did you start doing first? Well, so I, I'm technically I was never a groundling, I guess. I, I had done before I got to LA, I went to Chicago a couple summers and did Second City's Players Workshop and went through sort of a condensed sort of school there. So when I came to LA, I knew that I had always been improv was something that had always just um seemed like a natural fit for me. You know, the first time I saw Belushi and read anything about him and then you learn about Second City, you just sort of, if you if you want to be an improviser, you can get hooked very quickly. And that's what it was for me. So coming to LA, I took classes at the Groundlings and then I started classes roughly at the same time at the Improv Olympic, which is now really the IO West, but they're from Chicago. Um, I quickly ended up a regular performer at the IO West. I've been performing there since... 99. I had a troupe, you know, for 10 years on Saturdays called the Redshirt Freshman. It was a lot of fun. I performed with the Armando now. So for me to get things going, it was the improv world. Be up on my feet, be acting. And I just had to put myself in a community of other actors. So as you're doing that, you know, and as I said, you know, cause it's funny cause improv Olympic, my old, when I lived in Hollywood, when I first moved up here, my yeah. old neighbor 
was in improv with a guy named Joe Catone. Uh huh. And he he didn't really do a lot, but we used to go down and we used to see Beer Shark Mike. Oh sure. And that sure, was sure. that was that's before any of these guys got a break. That's like, and, like, and Paul, I, just so you know, we were always paired with Beer Shark. Okay. It was it was Red Shirt and Beer Shark Paul together. Was doing commercials. Yes. And this is probably 15, 15 so I may have seen you. But it was cool because back then it was it was a lot different. Like I, I did a the lot. I did the storytelling thing in the uh, I O festival. And, oh, fantastic! But uh, I O S. But it's on Sunset Boulevard. But back then it was at the complex. That's right. And it just it's it just I don't know. It just seemed more improv. I, and maybe just for me because something about that just that look when you drive and you're you know you're a block from getting shot. I know? was gonna and, say you know with no I love the space we have now and I did the you know I was part of the crew that came in and did that deconstruction on it you know we were you know we were the complex guys that were looking forward to having this space but I don't know if it's quite nostalgic but certainly it's a little more romantic when I think about it now but the complex days just can't be replaced those were the days of it's three in the morning you know who's banging on the door oh it's Dave Keckner and Neil Flynn because we text them to come on over because we're just in here 12 of us having a drink putting up our own shows, goofing around. It was a lot of sort of anything goes. You know, the guys that ran the theater at the time, Paul Valancourt and James Grace would be there. It would just sort of be a, it was a real sort of everybody's in the same place kind of community. Now, the theater's doing fantastic, but it's gotten so big that right. you don't, you know, it's hard, to, it's hard to, to know everybody anymore. But back in those days, it was just, you know, it was just like somebody's living room. Yeah, that's what's cool because it also like the theater, and I've done uh, Christine uh, Blackburn's uh, storytelling show upstairs and it yes. gets hot as crap. At the <laughs> you, like, you go into this thing and you're like, it's like in the middle of nowhere and it's fun, but then you're like, wait a second, man, I'm dying. <laughs> it's like you're sitting there going, wait, it's like hot outside and, and that's just hard because then you see the crowd yeah. getting like just... Well, every year we have an issue with our air conditioner and then every year we have a bigger issue with, and uh, I mean, I don't know if Sharna, the owner, will get mad at me for saying this, but she seems to have a dispute every year with whoever's running the building as to who is supposed to fix this air conditioner. So we do about a month of shows every year, it seems, without an air conditioner. And it's just not fun at all. No. <laughs> and the crowd's not enjoying themselves. They're asleep. They're, they're dr- it's like they've been sitting in the desert for an hour. They're tired. So you're doing that. So you're doing the, the uh, IO. And, yeah. and so you have a, a show that you have a group that's doing well. Yes. And now do you get an agent? Do you start auditioning for commercials? Because I know you've done a lot of commercials. Yeah, commercials were... were Commercials have always been a constant steady for me. I've been a very lucky actor when it comes to that. I because yeah, I it really gave me the ability to move out here and not get the obligatory whatever job, you know, not go back to bartending, not go back to whatever. Just sort of gave me time to be on stage at the I.O. and and uh, be ready for auditions. But commercials, I got a commercial agent very quickly. I have, in fact, I've had the same agent for 18 years. I've got the whole time. There's just been no reason to switch, in my opinion. Um, and I booked kind of early on very luckily right away with commercials and all of a sudden i went from like hey i moved here and then a month later i booked a commercial and then a few months later i had another one and by the end of the year i had done maybe four and then the very next year i had done like eight or nine and it just kept going that way for me so i'm somebody that you know i really couldn't get arrested theatrically as for an agent Everybody, you know, I, I would get the same sort of note, which is, oh, man, we think you're great. We think we do. We love you. But, you know, we're, we're not uh, we don't want to be one of those middle of the road agencies anymore. So if you get a TV show, come to us because we're, we're trying to get bigger. And it's like, so if I get a bag of money, I should just stop by and leave right. a little bit with you. Thanks. I'll, right. I'll, I'll, I'll get on that. So for me, the improv world introduced me to so many people over the years that eventually gave me jobs when maybe other people wouldn't because there's no tape on me. They had never seen me, but these people had seen me perform at the I.O. I mean, you know, years ago, I had done an episode of Scrubs, and it was, you know, Bill Lawrence I knew from the theater and from mutual friends who had created the show, but that was just one of those where it was like, hey, I've seen you perform on stage. He just called and gave me a role. I said, yes, please, and ran right over there. You know, so it was it was a good thing for me to be up there. Well, I see in your resume, you know, you did Scrubs, and then you did, a, you know, you did a Las Vegas. Sure. And then, you know, you see it, you know, different things, the soloist. Yeah. And then- you know, now then iCarly, which is like, I, I like that show. That's a good show. <laughs> and Law and Order, which is, you know, but is, is, is that weird for you to go out for a drama for because you're playing? Because it's weird about Law and Order. And I, I, used, I used to watch Law and Order Criminal Intent. Sure. With uh, Vincent D'Onofrio. Oh, yeah. And there's an actual episode where Stephen Colbert plays the lead in a right. very drama drama part. Right. So, so was it weird for you because, you know, you were doing the improv, you were doing the commercials, and, you know, you were, I, I remember some of the earlier commercials, you play like a father or like, the, you know, like, and then it wasn't like an Applebee's where you saw your wife or something. Or <laughs> the Friday, that's a really like good memory Friday. though. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, no, I, yeah. Fantastic actually memory. So, so you're doing stuff like that, but what's it like when they sit there and go, okay, hey, law and order. You're right. Like, what? Um, I actually get excited when I get those. Um, 
first of all, I'm an actor that if you gave me one role tomorrow and said like, but you're going to play it for the next 25 years, I would say, well, isn't that fantastic? <laughs> like, you know, I'm not one of those guys. However, I generally fall into the comedy world, which is I love. So when I get to go do something a little serious, it's more a it's almost more a way for me to say to like um, other people like, hey, if you give me a shot, I might show you I'm I'm a fairly well-rounded actor. I did a lot of serious stuff on stage at UNLV, you know. So when I see those, it's not awkward for me. It's actually fun. I think sometimes in rooms I've had problems getting across though, that it's like no, I'm I'm you know they're seeing what I'm doing is funny. It's like I promise it's not. I, I promise you, you're seeing it wrong, or it's uh, you know, or can you please get me out of your head as the the so and so guy and just take a look? I might give you an honest performance that you like. I get excited when I get to do those. I really do. Well, so you're 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 bumping around, you're getting the commercials. Yeah. So, so you're making you're making money. Yeah. You know, yeah. Because you know it's good. It's good life. Back then, you could be, especially back then, you were making good money in commercials. Yeah. And yeah. So you're, you're doing the commercials, yeah. and then you do then then now how does my boys come about? Because First of all, it was uh, and it was it was it was a very light series and yeah. and it, I think it was on TBS. Yes. And so, but TBS wasn't really breaking out series then. You know what I mean? It's like when I remember TBS used to be yeah. Atlanta Braves games. That's right. That's it was the, when I was a kid. It was Dale. It was the Dale Murphy Channel. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I used to love that because I could always see the Phillies play because when they played in Atlanta. Exactly. But so now now was that your first shot to be a regular on a series or or how did that happen? That was my real first like. Um, like legitimate um uh, not only am i kind of up for it but i could legitimately book this one other ones i had been in the mix but it was never going to happen for me N- had nothing to do with i don't think performance it was just resume and name and 10 guys ahead of you which is still like that in this business i mean you know that but i i'm i'm great great friends with the creator of the show um it was going to be my one pilot audition for the year because i barely i had no theatrical rep during that time i would i would manage to get one or two pilot auditions a year just through friends um so this was a script that i watched her write it i mean she wrote the script based it on the poker game we had at her house for 10 years so so i had a little bit of comfort going into it and when i walked in um i thought i had a terrible audition but when i left she called me and she's like hey we're gonna we're, we're, we're we're testing you and i was like and i kind of skipped over it i was like well i've Hope I took the adjustment well. And she's like, yeah, I don't know if you're paying attention. I said, we're testing you. But that was that was the first opportunity for me to then be seen in a light of, hey, maybe we should consider this guy as a series regular. And TBS at the time, that was their first original scripted. So when they when they went for it, you know, that first 13 weeks was like, yes, they're behind it. And then they sort of, it wasn't that they weren't behind us. I don't think they knew what they wanted to do because they had us. They had Tyler Perry at the time. Then they had the Bill Ingvall show, and that's very—that's three very different sort of oh, yeah. categories. I mean, you're going across, you know, like yeah. younger hip, yeah, you know, the African American culture, and yes. then angle the very southern. Absolutely. I mean, all the blue collar, you know, sort of uh, fans are, are going to probably go that direction, which I wouldn't blame them. I mean, those guys are hilarious, but they're going to go to watch Bill on his show if any of those guys get a show. So it was sort of weird to have like one season. I can't remember if 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 we were if we were a lead in or if Bill Ingvall was a lead in for us at one point, but it was like. Well, I don't know how I don't know what number we're gonna keep because I don't I don't imagine we're we're sharing a lot of the same audiences, even though they're funny shows. What was that like for you though, when you sit there and you as you said, it's one of your first chances and yeah. you all of a sudden you're actually on a show yeah. that is thirteen episodes and you sit there and you know you're gonna have some gravy coming in. Yes. You know, and and you're actually and you know you and Jamie became very good friends. Very good friends. And uh I mean, what was that like as a as an actor and also because you moved out here a little bit older. Like I was twenty seven like, when yeah. I came out, yes. So, this is no lie. Years. This is years ago. I was working. I was doing a uh, marketing for a uh, Gordon Beer's restaurant, and I won a trip out here because I was named the, one of the best sales managers in the company. And there was an article about you in one of those little magazines in the <laughs> Vegas. Because I remember stuff like that. Yeah. Like, and I think you had just been on the show like for one year. Yeah. Like, Vegas resident, which out there is a big thing. Like it's huge. Yeah, thing. yeah. So, but what was it like that first year? Like you're sitting there and you're going, well, I mean, to sit there every day you got up and, and you didn't have to worry about going out for that audition or stuff like that. It must have been a, it, a a nice feeling. But then I guess also after when you start getting towards the end of that first season, it must be a little bit of like, oh shit, oh shit, my life's gonna change. It was interesting. The first two full seasons, Jamie and I both would talk about this quite a bit on set. You know, you'd wrap that first season or you'd have a day off and I'd call my commercial agent immediately and say, hey, I'm off Wednesday. So, you know, anything you got or, hey, um, I know I had I know that I'm on a veil for this commercial. You know, how can we make this work? I want to shoot it. So for the first two seasons, I I wouldn't relax at all. And Kayla was kind of the same. Jimmy Kayla was kind of the same way who played Mike on the show. Um, It was the it was going into season three. 
that we both were like, hey, let's relax. <laughs> and so we took off to New York and we both checked into the Soho Grand for two and a half weeks. And uh, he did a bunch of stand-up. I just ran around and saw all my friends and crashed stages where I could. Uh, but that, it took a while. I wanted it to be early on, but early on I still had this attitude of, look, it took me 10 years to get a series regular. I'm not going to think that I've made it and that everything is just fine. So the first two seasons were, if I'm free, I need to be auditioning for something. And as soon as the show wraps for the season, I need to be working. Seasons three and four in between were a little more like, yeah, maybe I should go to Hawaii and enjoy myself once. <laughs> exactly. Well, no, no, it's getting picked up. And then now, now, how do you find out that it's canceled? Because I, a lot of times people, no, a lot of people, like I, I had someone, uh, I had uh, what's it, Jim Turner on who was saying Arliss when it got canceled yeah. last year. I was thinking, no way. He had just booked this birthday party for himself and this. And then all of a sudden they call and they go, yeah, Arliss. And he's like, wait. It, everyone was loving it. You I, get a little, you know, it's interesting because because you got we got very mixed signals. You know, in one in one section we're feeling like, well, they might be done with us because I don't know if they know what they want us to do. And then pilot season rolls around while you're shooting, and you get a very. I mean, I went to Betsy. I said, Betsy, what what am I supposed to be doing? Am I am I in position for pilot season? Should I just relax? And she said, Look, she said, I don't know what to tell you because I just got off the phone with the network, and the network said, and I quote. Don't write a series ending finale. I said, okay. So I took that as a, they're not killing the show this year. And then we had two, our lead, Jordana Spiro, and another great actor on the show, Kyle Howard. They had both booked pilots with NBC. And TNT, or, or Turner Network, I should say, came in and said, we're blocking it. We're exercising our rights. So they blocked him from doing the pilot. And then they sent us to the upfronts. So we felt pretty good about going into a fifth season. But then very quickly, about two weeks before, I mean, excuse me, about a month before, I think we get a, a memo basically saying they're going to cut the advertising budget basically to zero. And at that point, we unofficially accepted that by week five, they'll probably cancel us and they'll they'll just sort of let us peter out. And, and that's kind of the way it went. That's kind of happened. We did get the official cancel. Um, Kayla and I got it both at the same time. We were both standing in a parking garage. We had just done somebody's show. <laughs> I can't remember. And we both looked down and we both saw that our agents were calling. And it was like, I was like, that's not going to be good. And we both had the same conversation at the same time. So it must be hard because, I mean, you know, as you said, this this, this career is a crapshoot. It is. Know? And But, you know, and what I've gotten from when, when Jamie's been on the show, the, you guys were all, you know, like it was like a tight group. Very. Because you know, it is... Basically, it's it's dudes hanging out. It know? is, and, and a lot of it was your first series. Cause I don't think Jamie had done a series. No, before. that's exactly right. And Gaffigan had done his, but his series had been canceled. The one where he played the weatherman. Exactly. Whatever. And the other guys that is Reed Scott. Reed Scott had been on um, a couple of things before, but nothing that had ever taken off. And now he's certainly taken off with Veep. Kyle Howard is one of those you know guys that had been working since he was ten. You know. Um, and had been on one of Betsy's other shows, Run of the House. But again, no, seri no nothing had really taken off TV-wise for him at the time. Jordana Spiro, our lead, she had had a few shows. But this was, and Calais Stewart too, this was all sort of the, in a lot of ways, uh, even though some had much more experience than others in this area, this was sort of the one that was like, no, this is going to take us all hopefully to somewhere if it, you know, when it's done. So now, now do, you, do you get depressed when you get that news? Because also what I've learned also is, it's more than just you and your other stars. You become like family with a crew. You do. Because you, know, you sit there and, you know, and I've, I've especially had it where, you know, like when kids have been on shows that canceled, you know, these kids that like to them, it's like their father, you know, like right. second father or second mother yeah. or even just the teacher. They get close with the teachers because then they have to go back to regular school. And it's That's like, right. You know, but what I mean, did you go through a phase of depression or did you just sit there and go, you know what? This is the terms of the business. I just got to deal with it. Both. Um, both. I try, you know, the way you battle the depression is you tell yourselves, look, this is it. All shows close. No matter how good or bad, they all close eventually. So you just have to remind yourself sort of of that. But there was, it was very sad. I mean, this was, you know, this is a show where if so, if an actor had a couple of days off, they'd probably stop by the set on their day off for an hour just to, just to hang and say hello. It was a really fun cast and crew and writers. Everybody got along. Um, so I give you an example. The crew, they were all doing Sons of Anarchy when they weren't with us. I would go, I wouldn't visit them. I would, you know, it was an excuse to sneak on the set over at Suns, but it was also just, yeah, I'm going to go see all the guys, everybody, my whole, the whole My Boys crew is over here. It's like a great quick reunion stop by. So, I mean, I still keep in touch with not just the actors. I mean, everybody that I can. Well, I used to uh, wait tables when I was up here with Michelle Sandvik, who was the, uh, 
was the costume. Design. Yes, uh, I remember Michelle. Yeah, yes. son Jake was uh, acted in a lot of stuff. Had a few series. Oh, that's right. But yeah, I remember because I saw. I, I think when I saw a picture, I posted one time a picture with the Keller. She went, "Oh, I work with him on." Uh, I'm sure. Guys. So that's funny. I was. I, Carrie Smith was was our was our sort of main costume, but I had I had worked with her in commercials like a years before, so it kind of made it like it was everything was a really nice sort of transition for a guy like me catching a lucky break. I knew the creator. I knew her producer, her producer Jamie Tarsus, her best friend. I knew Jamie for many years leading up to it. So I had a very comfortable setting, but I was always afraid that I was going to embarrass my friends and get fired the first season. <laughs> but I had a very comfortable setting as an actor, and we just had friendly people working there. Well, then I know after that, you also did that the thing with Kaler where you guys went to check out baseball. We bars. did, yeah. You know, you know, anytime Kaler and I can do something together, we probably will. It's just fun. Um, we did that thing for DirecTV. I mean, you know. I want to call it a job, but let's be honest, they just paid us to go visit baseball parks during baseball season. And you got to go to Philly. Yes, and that was one of my favorite trips. Chicago was always going to be my favorite, I think, um, just because I'd lived there a little bit and the show that I was on was based in Chicago. Um, But in Philly, you know, I got to jump behind and make my first Philly cheesesteak. You know, I got to be on the field where there's so much Did you go to Pat's or Gino's or did you go to Tony Luke's? I didn't go to either one, actually, because we were only in for the day for shooting and we could not, we had no chance to escape over. So we had a Tony Luke's at the stadium right. uh, and, and, and chatted with him. Super nice guy. He's been on my show. Oh, I, I, I would when, say super when, nice. When he visited, yeah. I, saw, I tweeted him. I said, hey, why don't you yes. come on the show? And so he, he said, yeah. So he came in. And, and I told him, I said, this is awful. When I moved from the Philadelphia area, uh, there wasn't a Tony Luke's yet. And so, and when I went back before Joanne moved out here, I'd go and, I would go back once a month and I'd try to catch some Phillies games. Right. But the problem is, the line was always too long, and I'm like, this is a beautiful stadium. And I'd always go to the businessman special right. with the one guy I've known since first grade and the other guy. And so- <laughs> You know, we're sitting there popping, you know, you have a few beers before, right. like there's a, the bar is outside, then you go in there and I'm like, man, I'm not waiting in that line because it's like you're taking away from the game because it's right. so popular, but the line, because we would go, also Greg Luzinski had the uh, the bull the bull pit or whatever. The barbecue thing? Yeah. Yes, I have a picture. He let me wear his World Series ring. <laughs> oh, that's cool. <laughs> but so that's cool. So you got to do that. So now, that was something that must have been fun because you, as you said, baseball fans, I think you went to Fenway too. Or did you- we visited Fenway, which, you know, Kaler is a lifelong Red Sox fan. Uh, we were in uh, uh, Detroit, uh, Philadelphia. Um, who else am I forgetting here? Uh, Chicago, which was, you know, Chicago was the easiest for us because we just, you know, we didn't need a production plan. Jamie and I could just, you know, we were like, nope, I know exactly where to go. And I had lived a couple summers there, so I had a ton of friends there still. That was just, that was sort of the trip of like every shot we're in, it's safe to assume I'm hungover. <laughs> you, know, that, you know, that trip for Chicago. Um, I, here's one of the things I really liked about Philadelphia in the stadium. You know, we're in the dugout. I mean, in the locker room, excuse me. And uh, it's beautiful. I mean, it's just, you know, it's like a five-star hotel in there. And I say to the guy that runs it, I said, well, hey, you know, what does the opposing team's locker room look like? And he goes, it looks exactly the same. I said, really, why? He said, because you never know when you're going to have a high-priced free agent over there who's thinking, you know what? This locker room is a lot nicer than the locker room I got at home. And I said, that's really funny. Times might be changed. Because I said, you know, the old adage used to be, you know, You know, you hear everything and, you know, the, you know, the Celtics, you hear them doing everything to the other guys in the other locker room, you know, shutting everything, shutting water off, whatever they can do. And I love those stories, but it's interesting. The mindset has sort of changed of like, no, we want them to know that our park is better than your park and you should come play here. Yeah, exactly. Because it's changed. (laughs) Exactly. No one was going, you know, no one was leaving. The Phillies, Greg Luzinski wasn't leaving the Phillies until he got, you know, too fat, too slow. He went to the White Sox. <laughs> exactly. And, and honestly, they didn't do Steve Carlton, you know, wasn't leaving the Phillies. You no. Know? I mean, then he, until he got older and they said, hey, that's right. You know, I'll go to the AL. You know? That's exactly right. So, so after, after they do that, now, after, as I said, you know, the, the, my boys, the, that, that's done. Yeah. So now, if you look at your resume, yeah. you really had, now it seemed like you're really going more to, more to the drama side. Yeah. Which is weird because, you know, I, I always think, and even your commercials, like, yeah. you know, I shit my pants. Yes. Like your commercials are more funny spots, and you have that play. You can play a dad. You have the likable guy look, and you're doing comedy, and yeah. people are used to you in comedy. And, yes. And you were on a sitcom, you know, and, and everyone else, you know, it's you know, it's pretty much you know Jamie's hosted, but the, you know, as you said, Reed went to beef, and yeah, Gaffigan's just blown up. Gaffigan's blowing up. And so, were you surprised when the majority? Like, did you think that you would leave that and just be like getting a bunch of Guest, guesting spots and while on comedies or dramas because you've worked on some really 
I mean, you know, highbrow shows. You're Mad Men, you know, yeah. Masters of Sex. I mean, what, yeah, Crisis at one point was a heavy role, actually. Yeah, what, what, were you, what was it like when you sat there? Did you just have to change your audition thing? Because you were somewhat in that mode of you were a sitcom guy. You were a funny – I mean, you don't see a – Serious commercial. I, don't, I, don't, I can't think of any serious commercials with you. No, I, I almost never am going to book the. Uh, I'm, you're not going to see me in a lot of tender moment commercials. Right. You know, it's <laughs> just not going to. You know, it's just not going to happen. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'd love to do them, but no, commercially, I'm always going to sort of go out for those. I actually, it, it just sort of fell at random. I was in uh, when I was in New York. I went by and did a general meeting just with the folks over at Law and Order. Um, because I was like, listen, I'm I'm here. I want to meet with people, and I want to meet with people is what I asked my manager that don't normally maybe consider me. And I was happy about two things: a that I started to book those roles, and b how many of them told me that they they were like, look, we do consider you for. I was like, really? I said, yeah. I say I feel like I'm you know not pigeonholed because like I said, I'd have played Kenny Moratori until I dropped dead and never complained. Like you know, an actor with a job, that's good by me. You know, especially one you like. I mean, you know, if you're lucky to have the job you like, it's even better. Um, it just sort of fell that way, and I'm really enjoying it. I don't think it's going to knock me out of any comedy stuff, but I do like the idea that people are starting to see me maybe in a little bit of a different light. You know, it's funny. You know, I'm a Vegas kid. You know, I grew up around a lot of characters, and uh, it's just always funny to go out and read for the role of the guy that is. Uh, I'm always going to read for this guy, the guy that says like, no, no, no. No, I was just borrowing it, man. I, I was going to give it back tomorrow. I'm never going to be the heavy. So maybe that's the next drama step for me. Maybe I can finally go and be like every guy that I grew up in the pool hall in Vegas, you know, that that maybe uh, comes across a little stronger. It's As an actor, if it's an interesting role, I want to do it. Um, I tend to lean towards comedy, but, if, but I'm enjoying the fact that somebody's giving me a shot to play some serious stuff. Now, what's it like being on a show like Mad Men? Because, you know, it wasn't like you were on the first, you know, you, it wasn't you were like the first two seasons. Right. You, you were like madman blowing up off the face of the earth. Man. Yes. Like, you know, like sitting there like that's a hard role, you know, and you see what's funny is because you do see people like an Alan Havey, who was a comic recurring. Yes. You know, different uh, Joel Murray, who I'm friends with. I yeah. love Joel. And Joel's been on the show. And I always yeah. tweet him. I always tweet him. I was like, man, you're taking you're going to a Yankees game with John Hamm. Don <laughs> J. Bro, what the hell? You're supposed to be a Cubs fan. You know, people are going to be pissed. And I always say that uh, I tweet him because I think it's, it's Ted Cruz. If they ever do a Ted Cruz movie, Joel Murray should play him. Because he, <laughs> he, he sort of looks like him. Like, if you look at him, he, I'm like, that's perfect for you. You could do that. He could do that. Yeah, but so but they, they're they're background of comedy guys. Yes. And, and for Mad Men, you know, you sit there. And so you, you I mean, was the, uh, did you have to audition a few times? or did, And did they know you when you came in the audition? You know, I had, I had auditioned for the creator. um about four months earlier for a film, and I had I had what I thought was a nice audition, but I sort of knew I wasn't wasn't right for it, is how I felt. But I but I felt it was a good audition. So when I came back, I thought, well, he'll be in the room, but I you know how many actors has he seen in the last three months? He's not going to remember me. And so I walked in. They said, uh, "Hi, what's your name?" I said, "Hi, Michael Bunin." And uh, he paused. He actually goes, "Hi, Mike." He goes, "Wait, wait, 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 wait. Oh, you want wait? You auditioned for me three months ago for my film for the for the copper." I said, "Yeah." He goes, ah, oh, we know Mike. We're friends at this point. Go ahead. And he kind of referenced some of the Vegas stories we had chatted about. So it became the audition was went from intimidating to very comfortable. Um, and it was just the one time through because I was right in front of the, the guy to make the decision. So they booked me. And when you walked in to kind of address what you were talking about at the beginning, you're walking into not just something that's blowing up and bigger than life, but they're a well-oiled machine at this point. Right. So you just don't want to be, you know, when you're a guest star, um, the way I always look at it is being a guest star is like um, somebody you know, or like, let's say, like, this is being a guest star. You invited me over to a dinner party at your house, 15 people, uh, and I get there, but you're not going to be there. So I'm not going to know anybody there, but I'm going to have to sit and eat dinner with, with 14 other people that are really close with each other and know everything about each other and just be this weird guy standing around. So that's what guest starring is like. You don't want to be... You don't want to be the guy that's responsible for an extra take, especially on a show like Mad Men. You know, that was sort of the the pressure I felt was more like, please, please, please don't be the guy that made John Hamm. And I I had I had played poker with John uh, quite a few times over the years. He's a super nice guy. So it wasn't like I was thinking like, you know, that he was going to be mad at me or mean to me or something. But all the actors, all I was thinking was, please don't be the guest star that makes this guy go, I got to do another take now because of this guy. You know, you just don't want to be that guy. And plus I've heard that the, the production, it's like pressure. It's like, you can't leak anything. And it's like no. this and that. And they said, I know a lot of people who have been on the show have been on it. And they said, you go in 
and it's the same thing. It's yeah. like it's like you cannot say a word. Not a word. In fact, the audition scene was a completely fake scene. I mean, the audition stuff you you get from Mad Men is completely, you know, it's never going to be on the show. And then when you do, and even those pages you get, you know, they have the watermark with your name all over them, so that if they get leaked out, they know exactly who leaked it. It's it's interesting. Um, the very first scene I did. They come in and they throw me a curveball because I'm I'm the photographer, right? And uh, so before I have the scene with Ham, I'm really just sort of taking the photos of uh, Christian Hendricks and all the people. And uh, they come over and they say, "Listen, the flash actually works on the camera." And this is literally less than a minute before the first take. And the guy goes, "There are I want to say it was it was either six or eight. We'll say six because I won't make it a fish story. Uh, there's six places that we want you to specifically make sure the flash goes off." I said, "Okay." And so I took a look, and next thing you know, they're yelling sound speed, and we're about to roll. I put the script in my pocket, and I nailed it. The, the AD came over, and he goes, you just cost me $50. I didn't think there's any way you were going to nail it. I said, honestly, I'd bet again against me. Who knows? I, I, wouldn't, I don't think I'm a favorite to nail it this time either. But I went through it the whole way, and that was where it was scariest. Not doing the scene with him. He's such a great actor. He's, he made it very easy to be opposite of him. They all did. Anybody that I was, but I really only had the really opposite moment with him. So, but anybody that crossed through a scene that with a line, they were all very welcoming. And it's the reason I point that out is because it's not like that on a lot of sets. And I think you know that. You know, you get there, and it's not that people are mean, but they're successful. They're a well-oiled machine, and they just don't have the time of day. Mad Men had the time of day for for the guest stars, at least in my experience. And and I it was flattering. That's what everyone said. Yeah, and like one one of my guests got to do it where. He, they went to Hawaii to shoot. And yeah. He said they said they flew his wife too, and it was just oh, like wow. a great time. You know? That's great. So they also did Masters of Sex, which you get to play a doctor. Yes. Now and then, now that's also a very stylish show, which is always cool because my girlfriend did some uh, background on that. Okay. They went and of course she had she was sitting like right next to his wife. It was last season and it's at a football game. Yeah. And it's just ungodly hot, and they're wearing those old school wool sure. outfits. What's it like doing like a a, a, a period piece i mean it must be it's, it must be cool and it's, actually that's based on real people based on real people it's fun especially when you get into that wardrobe you know that sort of uncomfortable wardrobe because it doesn't fit like anything fits today um, and it really helps as an as an actor but I, I can tell you what was awkward on that set um and michael sheen did something that i just really respect um what's awkward on that set is we're a bunch of doctors and we're supposed to be gawking over one of the sex studies he's doing so but realistically, I mean, in real life, you've got an actress, she's in the next room, and she's going to lay on the table naked and pretend to be fondling herself for a right. study. And so, as an actor, yes, it makes it much easier to be sort of the crass, smart-ass character that you're supposed to be playing who has no sort of, you know, sensitivity. But as a real person, you're thinking, I'm only thinking about the other actor. And I'm sort of looking, and I'm saying, well, is there any, like, I don't need to, as an actor, I can act. I don't need to see her naked if they don't want to. So we're, we're getting ready to do the scene. They uncover her. They sound speed. They uncover her. And time is going by. And it's very awkward. It's that weird, like, there's obviously a technical issue. And so he yells out, uh, why aren't we shooting? And nobody answers. He just walks over and covers her up. And he walks out. And he basically has a talk and says, look. It's not right to do that to an actor. We've asked her to do two lines today and be naked for 14 hours. You can't do that. And I kind of talked to him afterwards, and he said, look, he said, I'm not, wasn't doing it for show. He said, this is a very sensitive show. And he's like, look, I have scenes that I, you know, don't want, I don't want to be standing around with my shirt off or naked or for a long period of time. I just really respected him for it. Again, another good set. All the actors, very nice, very welcoming. You know, uh, Danny Houston, I mean, just, uh, you know, you, it's one of those where you walk on as an actor and you're like, eh, I'm gushing a little bit here. There's some good actors on this set. But I had to, I, 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 you know, I hope that story wasn't too boring, but I wanted to point it out because there's a level of professionalism that from him that I really respected and just felt it need, that somebody should tell that story. Well, I think that's also what makes the shows uh, good. Like everyone says, you know, if you go as a guest star in NCIS, right. you know, Mark Harmon's the best guy ever. Right. Like they say, he goes in. He eats with the crew. Yes. He wants to. He wants people to get out early because they have families. You know. And Fantastic. They said he's. You know. He's like. And of course, and you think, well, he did play quarterback for UCLA. That's so right. He has that leadership quality because you. You know, if you're a quarterback in a big college football program. Oh yeah. You you but you're born with that. You get to look out with you for your friends. Have and, to have it. And his father was a Hall of Famer for the Eagles. You know, so he's That's grown right. up in the. And then his father was a, a politician. 
So it's one of those things. It's it's uh, it's good like that. Now you said about your poker playing. Now, yeah. now, have you always been a big gambler, or is that from growing up in Vegas? Because a lot of people who grew up in Vegas, like when I lived there, I really didn't gamble. Right. And you know, and then even when I was just back there for my friend's wedding, actually, we all flew out. We actually ended up to Good Springs, which and then we went to that Pioneer Bar. He had a bus take us from Flamingo, <laughs> and it was like this haunted bar. And man, they had good burgers. I mean, I haven't, yeah. I haven't had that like plastic wrapped cheese if you want to call it forever i love it and they put it on the burger Perfect. and we ate it and there was ribs and it was an open bar so i don't know we we're drinking some cool whiskey and then we we're doing fireball and we we're drinking jameson's and, <laughs> and then we got back in the bus and there's 50 of us in the bus and they have beer in the bus but uh but i i only played when i was there i played like you know penny penny not like sure penny with the dimes nickel slots i know and, him i know him well and i won like you know like, like 10 bucks i said all right cool you know exactly but now now for you though because you're a big poker player did right you, did you learn that in vegas poker i learned in vegas you know my, my father was a poker player so poker we learned at a very As young a professional age. or yeah um now my father in fairness to him was a uh successful businessman always an entre- entrepreneur always had businesses but as a kid he grew up very poor and learned how to make money quickly through cards and whatever else he could do. And this was, you know, long before he grew up and went to William and Mary and sort of went the, the pool, you know, the pool hall, pool hall like everything. And so for me, I was allowed to do those things as long as my grades at UNLV or in high school were good. But as I got to about, you know, I should say 21, but I'm not going to say it because it's not true. As I got to 19 or 20, all my brothers and I, my dad would take us over to the poker room. At that time, he'd take us to Bally's and, um, we learned to play low level, one to four stud with a quarter bringing on the low card. His specific words to me were, look, I'm going to teach you a skill, a skill that you can always make extra money at, but I'll only teach it to you if you promise me that you don't do this for a living. You have to have a career. I said, you know, I said, I'm in, of course. So freshman, sophomore year of college, I'd play four or five days a week. I was looking to make 100, 150 a day, play for about five, six hours tops, walk out. And that's how I made my money through those years in college. I just really just played poker at the casino. Yeah. I would play at Bally's five nights a week. I'd play, I'd play with Red Fox in th- three of those nights, usually. Red was always in there. He'd walk in. And the whole poker room would be like, Red. He'd give a wave. They'd give him a bottle of Cavassier. They'd give him his own Keno ticket runner. He'd play about 50 games of Keno at a time while playing low-level poker for about five, six hours. Have a drink. Tell stories. Couldn't have been nicer. Never saw him refuse a handshake, picture, or an autograph. Even after I watched him take horrible beats at the poker table no matter how mad he was if somebody asked him he got up and smiled and asked them their name where they're from it was a really sort of interesting fun time to be 19 years old the other games to answer your question i took to poker because poker has a positive expectation you're not playing the house the house takes a small percentage to provide the game but now i'm only playing eight or nine other players so i really only have to be better than those guys, which gives me a positive expectation. Unlike craps, blackjack, where you're always playing against the house and you're always going to be the 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 least amount of damage you can be if you're playing great, you know, blackjack is you're going to be at a one to one and a half percent disadvantage based on the odds. Whereas in poker, it can be a positive expectation. So I sort of gravitated uh, towards that. And the other games, yes, we would play them, but I would do what you said. We'd go to the horseshoe when I was 19 at midnight and we play quarter craps for $40 all night and drink for free all night. And then we go upstairs and have a dollar 99 steak dinner. You know, that was, that was how you did it. That's, that's what I liked when, uh, yeah. like last time I was in Vegas before this, it was got three years ago and it was, uh, I don't say Patty's day and the final four were starting. Yeah. And they used to love O'Shea's. Oh yeah. Because you could go in and you could play, you know, it may have been $5 a hand for roulette, but right, you but could put 50 cents. That's exactly right. Lot. There you go. And you sit there and back, you know, back then I smoked cigarettes. So then, you know, you could sit there and you could be drinking and then, you know, I'd certain place I, I actually got a glass of red wine. They brought it out in like a, uh, and like a beer mug. Like I was just a, like a like juice a, like, glass like, or, a, like, or a, like a pint yeah. glass, you know, it's like, what the hell? But it was fun. But that, that's what Vegas was cool. Yes. So, so now when, but when you come up here, how do you get involved in poker games? Cause I've noticed there are a lot of, poker games and now it's great there's a lot of celebrity tournaments which are there raising are. money there was yes. just i know leanne ginn uh kato kaven's girlfriend yes fiance actually is having one this weekend i believe oh nice uh guy i know uh jimmy dalavalli was uh in it do you know a guy named lee brownstein he plays him he went to my high school i, really I do know i don't school. know lee but actually i do know the name yeah i mean poker's kind of a small circle in la in, in a weird way you I, you know, we had a little regular game, like I said, at my friend Betsy Thomas's place who created my boys. But later on, through some people I met in her game, I ended up just playing in a regular game. So I had sort of two. I had one very sort of fun, small game. And then the other game was, I think, a little expensive. I mean, some of the guys at this table, I don't think it was, you know, 
you might shake their couch and a few thousand might fall out of it right. and change. But in my end, it was like, hey, a couple thousand dollar buy-in, I think, is a pretty decent sized game. And so I've been playing with these guys for years, and it's a lot of it's a lot of uh, producers, directors, and and uh, well known actors, and then guys like me. <laughs> you know. <laughs> now is is it? Because it's, you know, as you said, for you, you know, as you said, they can shake a couch out. And <laughs> right. So for them, it's more of, you know, just, you know, fun. It's like when Charles Barkley gambles. You know, no one right. gives a crap when he loses. You know, Jordan. Jordan, like, can lose $2 million, And that's like, as I said, that's like us losing, you know, there nothing. Are, there are a few games like that in town where there are certain players that you just know the bankroll doesn't affect them in any way, shape, or form. The regular game that I ended up in um, is a bunch of guys who, while they have some of them an incredible amount of money, they don't losing 50 cents hurts to them. It's, it's a pride. I think it's, it's more about the ability to play the game properly. Did I mess up that hand? Did I look stupid? So the game that I play in is actually one of the, I think it's one of the tougher games I've ever played in regularly because everybody's really trying to play very good poker. Even though if somebody loses 4,000 in that game, it might mean apps. It might be like me losing a quarter, but no, they treat it like no matter what. They treat it like, you know, they don't get mad at you, but you can tell there's a respect for the game. They don't just throw the chips in. So it makes it kind of a tough game in some ways. Yeah, I was going to say, is it is it like a, uh, is it fun at all, though? Like, is, 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 is there, you know, it's not like, you know, you sit down, you play at your friend's house for you know, right. whatever, and you're giving each other, busting each other's balls. Is this more, you know, more, a little more serious where it's like, does it take the fun out of it at all? It's mostly fun, okay. but there have been many a night where, you know, somebody's getting their balls busted about losing a hand and then you're like why are they so mad and it's like well because he just lost five thousand on that hand and so no matter how much money he has maybe he doesn't like being picked on about losing that amount of money in that situation so every once in a while you get you know personalities clash i'm sure there's one or two guys in the at the table that uh uh that probably get annoyed with me <laughs> now because all your commercials yeah because you've done a ton do, now do people recognize you from commercials like like the ship my pants I mean, yeah that, that originally was supposed to be on the internet then it went on tv or it was something weird like that or... supposed to be a regular national sort of uh run uh and then because that got blew up virally it blew up virally you know they ran it on the uh today show i want to say or good morning america and they did but they did it as a story they did it as a here's a new commercial from kmart but censors don't want them to run it so it became uh you know, just uh, I, listen. At 45, I'm happy to say I was on something that went viral. I guess you know, but you know, but you know, I think it got uh, you know roughly 30 million views between the two Kmart sites on YouTube very quickly. Um, yes, over the years, I weirdly have always been recognized from different commercials. It's really, it's really flattering to think that not just that somebody would recognize you and take the time to say, hey, I liked you and whatever, but the idea that somebody remembers you from a 15 second or a 30 second moment. Even though I know they get run, they run a lot, but you know we're the generation now of you fire through the commercials. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like we DVR everything. Exactly, like, okay, we do that. I know? mean, it is appointment television, so I'm still very flattered and happy anytime somebody's like I, you know, I know you from the Sonos commercial. I'm like, oh, thanks, I appreciate it. What do you think are your most uh, recognizable commercials? Now, now I would have to say um, it, it's changed over the years. I think Ship My Pants has got to be the the Kmart one has got to be the most recognized. Um, but I'm, you know, this year I have one run for Lowe's for a football season again. The last couple of years, where I'm playing both sides of the coin, I'm I'm painted up in one and then talking to myself, getting a snack. That one seems to be getting me a, think, a lot of notice. I think notice. you're green, and in, in uh, is correct. Is, is that Jets or Eagles? Well, somebody the other day said to me, uh, I, I saw that uh, that nondescript Jets jersey you're in. I said, Well, it's nondescript. I like to think it's an Eagles jersey, and they just kind of smiled. I said, it's, I'm not wearing a I'm not wearing a Jets jersey. No offense, Jets. No offense, Jets fans. But I'm going. I'm saying that's an Eagles jersey. Well, you know, it's good because you know Eagles fans are much better. I have nothing. I, I have friends who are Jets fans. Yeah, and I, I would root for the Jets after they play the Eagles. I have no problem because sure. I, I don't like the Patriots. Right. And the Bills. I mean, yeah, Bills are cool, but you know, Shady McCoy. Yeah, you know. Yeah. It's pissed me off because Joanne got me a Shady McCoy jersey for last year for Christmas. Okay. And then it gets traded. Yeah, I know. And I go, what the hell? And then the best is, though, she has a jersey from you. And I got her a Deshaun Jackson pink jersey because it was impossible to find. I didn't right. find it on eBay. Was right, from of course. Bethlehem. And then he gets traded. And then he gets traded. But the best jersey she has, she has an old school because when girls, when they didn't have jerseys really for girls. Right. She has, she has an Eagles Ricky Waters jersey that fits me perfectly. So I wear that. And as a joke, she bought me a Kevin Cobb jersey because you get it for five bucks. <laughs> and I love it. That's like I'm, I'm, I've told her brother, I I want to sit there and wait till they start selling the Tebow jerseys at TJ Maxx because you get it for like seven bucks. That's exactly. I would right. I would I would support a Tebow jersey. I think it'd be cool. <laughs> now 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 I know you uh you now you you've done a little bit of stand up too, right? Yes. Started, now when did you start to decide to do that? You know J Jamie Kaler 
basically just challenged me about three years ago. He's like, look, I'm going on the road when the show ends. I think it was the end of season three, maybe. He's like, I'm going on the road when the show ends. Uh, put together 10 minutes and, and come with me and feature, and then you'll start to build your time. I just sort of said, okay, and then cut to, you know, it's four weeks later. He's like, you've been working on it, so, you know, room five over here, the guys have always been great to me. They just let me get up and crash. I put together about 10 minutes. That's still running? Uh, room five. I think the uh, Darren Composing and those guys still do one Sunday, and yeah, I think they still do their Sunday every month, and I'm not sure what the other what other comedy nights they have, but I know those guys are still doing doing the night because they, they let me crash a month ago, so that's how I know. <laughs> um, they let me get up. And just work out some material. Uh, you know, I had been doing long-form improv for 15, 16 years at that point, And I was no stranger to plays and being in front of a live audience. So so I got lucky in, in a sense of that I had a comfortableness on the stage, or as comfortable as anybody can be, I would think. Um, but it was a matter of sort of finding my voice. I knew I wasn't going to be the... The one man show, you know, for the one man show guy from the '80s, and you know, do impressions of everybody I know. I wasn't going to be that guy, so I didn't know what I would, where I would go with it. All of a sudden, you go on the road, eight weeks with Jamie. You know, within the first two weeks, I'm up to 20 minutes, feeling confident. We ended it with a USO tour. Uh, it was, I mean, it was just great. So after that, I kept doing it. Once I had like 20 minutes, I liked and realized, okay, now it's time to, not everything's so precious. Get on stage and bomb, and you can go back to some of your material. So. I enjoy doing it, but it's something that came a little technically late for me in life. It is later. I mean, I, I did it from, you know, well, my job from 88 to 95. Right. stand up, and then I got out of it completely. And I, I occasionally do it. I was going to say, I, I just, thought you still did it the occasional set. Occasionally. No? I do. I just, I don't enjoy it anymore. I I, I enjoy the storytelling shows. Cause, me you too. Know, I just, because I'll sit there, I'll tell, you know, just a you know a story about, you know, I, I'm writing a short story book now with some of the stories about, you know, going from, you know, starts about being a Falcon sports fan. Right. To going to a. Uh, Asian bathhouse that fell off after after a, after a Phillies game got rained out. You know, because I, I think comedy. I mean, I tweet a lot. I write a lot of jokes. I've yeah. written. I can write for a lot of people. And I just, but I, I never would use those people. But you always write these good tweets. I said, I don't. When I started out, I would do like the one line. And yeah, right, I, I can't remember that much. I'm, I'm older. I can't. You know, I understand. It's like I say, you know, some of these comics, like we were talking about it last week, like John Mendoza or Stephen Wright, brilliant guys. Yeah, they got to remember like 800 jokes. I was saying, Stephen Wright must have a library of jokes that's, yeah, I, I don't know how big. I mean, he must just have file cabinets. So we have a few minutes left. Okay. So, uh, so what's coming, any any improv shows coming up? Or? Yeah, you know, I'm, I've been performing regularly for a while now again in uh, the Armando show at the I.O., which is Saturday nights. I do one or two uh, over there. And then one of the guys I started with in, in, in improv, an old and a very good friend of mine, Eric Stone Street from Modern Family. Eric and I and another sort of uh, old timer. I hope Dana doesn't get mad that I called her that. It's more just a matter of being around the theater, Dana. Uh, Dana Powell. So the three of us started a little three-man, three-person improv troupe. We did it at the festival to start. We've done another show, and I think we've got one coming up probably next month. I don't remember the date, unfortunately, which is really bad. If I'm going on a show, I should well, probably no, remember the date. Yeah, yeah, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> no, any, uh, any, any shows coming up? Nothing coming up, no. Um, Commercials? Nothing really, no. Uh, uh, nothing. Been, it's been a slow sort of uh, summer, but an enjoyable one. I kind of, to go along the lines of what we talked about before, I kind of went home to Vegas and just sort of hung out. So so I didn't do a lot. You know, I, I don't want to say I turned down a lot of auditions, but once I saw it was getting slow a little bit there, I was like, you know what? Time to go home and catch well, up good, and hang yeah. out with my brothers. So hopefully I'll have a nice little busy uh, season coming up here. And then you drink the Guinness, right? If if you pour me one. I see the I saw the picture. <laughs> your, your Facebook picture has yes. a Guinness. Yes. Now, now you tweet, right? Yeah. What's your what's your Twitter handle? Uh, at Michael Bunin. And now do you tweet a lot? I, I'm starting to. Okay. I'm starting funny. to you tweet your things out now. Do you Instagram? I do. I do. But most of my Instagrams are. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. A lot of them are pictures of my dog Sally. And usually, what album I'm listening to? That's right. that's those are my those are a lot of my Instagrams. And then if I'm hanging out with the guys from My Boys, that's cool. Well, yeah. well, thank you for coming on, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, he was like, it's an hour. Uh, I said it flies. That everyone goes. When everyone goes, it's over. It's an hour already. I know. I just, I I, you know, it's a fear of being boring. It's all right. But so, <laughs> so yeah, follow him at Twitter. Also, follow me on Twitter at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. I tweet a lot. Also, you can go to my website, CooperTalk.net. I have uh, 424 episodes up, and I'll be posting uh, Brian McDaniel from TMZ was on last week. Probably in two days. Uh, also, email me, cooper at coopertalk.net. I always respond if you send me something. Uh, Instagram, coopertalk1. I put a lot of pictures of food up there just and recipes and saying you can eat cheap because it relates to my website, stopthesalt.com, from when I had the heart problem. 
I changed my diet, had to watch my sodium. So you can buy my book, StopTheSalt.com, at my website. $10 plus shipping and handling. And you can buy it from Amazon or you can buy it from Barnes & Noble. But if you buy it from me, I make more money. And what I'll do is I'll even sign it for you. So don't forget, follow Michael Bunin at Michael Bunin on Twitter. Go to uh, Instagram, follow him, follow me at Cooper Talk. I always tweet, send me a message, tell me who you want to hear, and order my book, please, because uh, I could use the money. That's all I'm saying. Stop the soft.com. Anyway, I'm Steve Cooper. Money as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I will talk to you guys next week.